can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's topic is Pacific Rim, which uh, we've both seen, so this podcast will be full of spoilers. And uh, I'd recommend seeing the film as uh, we'll be discussing it at length. Lloyd, um, you mentioned this in the upcoming films podcasts that we do. We're always trying to find films that perhaps you haven't heard of and, uh, you know, bring them to the attention of our listeners. So uh, you were well across Pacific Rim, weren't you? I was looking forward to this film so bad. Like, I saw the trailers for it and I didn't know Del Toro was attached to it. And I just thought, okay, this is another Michael Bay movie, robots fighting monsters, you know, sort of thing, a CGI'd mess. But when the moment I saw Del Toro's name, I was like, okay, this firstly, this is I'm going to expect a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion and the great detail he brings to his films. Like it, all the monsters he creates in his movies from Pan's Labyrinth, even in Hellboy and even on Black there's a lot of detail to the mechanics of it how they work and even their bio biomechanics and how they bleed and where their organs go there's so much detail so I, I um when you watch his films like everything in that world is thought of in his mind you know with great with great effort and i have to say i'm a huge fan of i grew up watching voltron and oh, yes. uh, yeah, and subsequent shows like that. The biggest one I loved when I was a kid was Voltus Five. It wasn't popular. The only place it was really popular was um, in Philippines. It was a Japanese cartoon. A whole string of them came out, like Transor Z, which was called in the Western world. Um, it's actually called Mega. Oh, starts with Messenger Z, I think. It's called in Japan. I don't know how okay. many of them you saw when you were growing up, because you grew up. Um, you stayed uh, quite some time in Japan when you were young. Is that right? Yeah, I spent I spent a year in Japan, but my um, obsession when I was over there was uh, Dragon Ball Z. Oh, okay, and we were heaps far behind, weren't we? The, the many West. years, like <laughs> almost a decade behind. Really? We, um, wow. We came back. Like people who like Dragon Ball Z will get this next reference. Nobody else will. Um, Goku was fighting Frieza, and the planet was uh, breaking apart because they're fighting so intensely and so many fireballs and stuff like that, and. Um, you know, everybody to this point, uh, it's intensified and people have died and it's just, it's blowing up and crazy and stuff like that. And then we left Japan and it took nearly 10 years for me to see the end of that. <laughs> well, did you watch any of Voltron or Voltus V or Tr Messenger Z? I had several Voltron books and stuff. So I've got the general idea on Voltron, but I don't think I ever really watched the show. Um, I think people who liked it gave it to me for birthdays and stuff like that. I absolutely loved it. I was obsessed with it when I was a kid. I had all the toys. I think I've got, I still got two sets of Voltron. So I'm a huge fan. And this film, Pacific Rim by Del Toro, pays a lot of homage to the Japanese um, roots from where this film came from. Because all it is basically is robots smashing monsters. And a lot of people came out of the movies um, saying that, like it's just a big dumb action film. And I, mm -hmm. I agree, maybe, maybe it is. But you can't deny with how much heart and passion this movie was made with. Um, like the whole film is about working together. You know, there's this huge sense, like even the two scientists with two opposing um ideas on how they should approach and destroy the um enemy what what is the enemy called again it's not jaegers it's um kaiju kaiju <laughs> how they should destroy the how they should destroy the kaijus and in the end they end up helping each other all the robot um 
or the Australians and the Americans and the Japanese all come together to fight it. You get a real sense of a global force trying to fight this alien force rather than just America all the time. Um, and, you know, its roots, its reference to the Japanese uh, cinema was, do- was done really beautifully and subtly. Like when they arrive in Hong Kong, and um, they all speak Japanese. Uh, right then and there, you understand how much effort each character uh, has taken into learning that language and how much, again, that word, that global force is used. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's really a bilingual... This is going to be a bilingual yeah. fight. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I have to get Anchorman in there. <laughs> I... Um I saw that scene with the one line he says, you know, how... Oh, my gosh. The most touching... That was the most touching scene in the movie, and they didn't even use subtitles or anything. Do you guys... Which scene are you talking about? I'm talking about the very last scene when she speaks. No. Oh, damn it. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I was was saying, you know, there's that one line where she says, oh, he's different um, than I remember, or than I thought he would be, and then he's like different how different better different worse or whatever um you know he learned one line of japanese there so i was like (laughs) but at least from that sense you get the idea del toro at least understands the japanese like um in fact uh i got this uh, interesting article here um the metal gear solid creator hideo kojima absolutely loved the film and he said who are you if you are japanese and won't watch this i hope you would accept this inspirational love letter that has traveled across the pacific um so you know it speaks with a lot of um passion and enthusiasm for the film (laughs) true yeah no metal gear solid's fantastic and i i respect his opinion um and i've obviously seen it i've paid my my money to see this film <laughs> um, I, uh, I i do just wish it was a bit better um, sure. for me it was that um don't get cocky top gun kind of-esque i know. thought that was um uh, star wars oh, i i feel like he said don't get cocky though there was maybe his brother said it to him or something yeah. the sibling thing no, right at the beginning yeah yeah no that, you're but, right that's what he said uh, he's he's quoting star wars yeah. to his brother oh i see uh the top gun attitude i see yeah yeah sorry like um how it's top gun-esque in feel how it's like uh you know we're gonna be the best team and we're gonna take on and beat those monsters you know sort yeah. of thing i was just i don't know it's like uh, you're not gonna have a film where the human race loses to these invading monsters <laughs> are you so but, i um yeah oh sorry i was gonna say I've got a, a pile of notes here I'm just refreshing my memory on. And um, 2020 is where the film uh, jumps in. The San Francisco Bridge and stuff is destroyed in 2013. So it's like just in the year that you're watching right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, then 2020 is when the siblings are fighting and stuff, you know. Um, my first thoughts were, I don't know if the Earth could sustain this level of intense, large fighting. You know, obviously the cities are being destroyed, but just like the infrastructure of the Earth, if bigger and bigger Category 5 type kaijus are coming through, mm. you know, it's going to have a toll on the atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the whole and atmosphere then, was polluted and and destroyed completely from these battles. It was. And uh, they were like leaking coloured fluids and, yeah, leaving a trail. <laughs> So 2020, seven years in, the fight with the brother and the brother getting killed. Um, and then five years later, they're building a big wall. Yep. And the guy from According to Jim is there, like the buddy. <laughs> and he has 
he has no lines of dialogue and I was just like what's he even doing there like, they shouldn't have cast him he was too distracting because you keep he thinking, was distracting yeah you keep thinking he's going to be a main lead I um, just thought he was going to be a friend like a friend character like his new buddy yeah you know? Uh, David Simon talks a lot about that why he never cast superstars in The Wire because everyone wanted to work on The Wire because it was such a respected show and they made this big rule like we just won't cast well-known actors because it's too distracting for the viewer they're constantly like oh how do they get Robert De Niro on it if you don't have any of that you're just you know totally immersed more in the story and definitely and I wouldn't have cast the guy from According to Jim in The Wire because he is too big of a global (laughs) star (laughs) Look, um, the guy on the news, I, I saw the planning to build a big wall stuff and I thought, that's dumb. Yeah, that's like, a dumb as I was like, really? Really? <laughs> it's amazing that the plan to build a wall got that far to me. Like, <laughs> got to the point where they were actually, they'd built one in Australia. They showed that token shot of the um, Sydney Opera House yeah. and a kaiju just bursting through the wall. Just walks through, it's like, oh. <laughs> and then while they're watching that news footage, I was like, yeah, exactly. You guys are idiots. And they're all like, what are we building this for? <laughs> and it's like it took this far and this long into building this wall that you started to question it. Like, <laughs> I completely agree. The wall, I was just like, really? That's that's your answer? Did you notice at the very start when they were going through the whole history of it and they quickly newsreels and everything like that, did you watch this in 3D or 2D? 2D. I watched this in 3D and I gotta say this is some of the best 3D I've ever seen and okay. I, I, yeah I read an interview well Del Toro didn't like the 3D and thought it was it, it miniaturized everything or something like that something to that extent but the bottom line is he didn't like and I thought wow I thought the film was really effective with it um, I don't know it just came across at me more in the beginning I don't know if anyone else got that but yeah it's strange. the last film we did which I thought really utilized 3D well was Hugo so you Hugo is the best 3D movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I thought it was really fantastic. Yeah. A really good one to see. But I think 3D is going to, you know, go. Yeah? I don't know. I feel like I feel like unless they can do something where you don't have to wear glasses. I and completely a, agree, yeah. A film comes down over the TV screen, you know, where it's all automatically kind of you flick it onto 3D and you don't have to think about it. You know, that's sort of heading towards hologram stuff too, though. I mean... We'll see what happens. Curious. I know this is our last week's podcast, but Wolverine, did you see that in 3D or 2D? Uh, 2D as well. I saw that in 3D. <laughs> yes, you know, I will favour 2D if I can. If I go to the movies and it's the next one is 3D. And it I'll didn't add it anything to it at all. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Back to Pacific hey, um, Rim. <laughs> did you think it was weird? Like, it took a long time for the opening title to come up. You see the whole battle with his brother and stuff, you know. Um, and then it's like, oh, by the way, you're watching Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I like that. Uh, one of the most famous ones who did that was Once Upon a Time in the West by Sergio Leone. And it took 12 minutes before a title came. It was one of the first... I think it was the longest at that time. I think The Departed now holds the record. Okay. Um, for a Hollywood movie anyway um, where the title comes up like almost 40 minutes into the movie uh, wow. I don't th- I don't think it was 40 minutes The Departed that's but ridiculous yeah, if it's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um, 
yeah, definitely with Once Upon a Time in the West, it took 12 minutes for the title to come up. But I like that, the whole intro, and then you see Pacific Rim. I saw this with a really large audience, and the audience I saw with really got into this. Uh, with with the Hellboy character, and I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. He played... Um, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. He's a staple in Del Toro's troops. Uh, when he came in, the whole audience was, was laughing and enjoying all his lines. And I, I heard from another person who saw this in the theatre, and they just hated him. They just like, oh, like, they didn't laugh at anything he said they were actually laughing at the film not with the film okay. like yeah so really reversed and a lot of people didn't like charlie um charlie day charlie day yeah who's from it's always sunny in philadelphia and you either i always say it's like jack black you either go with jack black or against it because if you don't like jack black you're gonna hate the mo- any movie he's in i personally don't have any issues with him i really like him i think he's enthusiastic same thing with charlie day heaps of people going oh what's wrong with his voice you know his <laughs> style is so distracting I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia so I went with it but I can perfectly understand why people don't like <laughs> didn't like my, um, my wife won't watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the reason is is because his voice is like crazy and, <laughs> and she, she just can't like enjoy it she's like he's got the most irritating voice and I understand it's part that. of what he's doing it's a comedic choice yeah. i'm guessing yeah i don't know if you would meet him in the street and he'd be like how's it going <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well what if he actually talked like that you'd feel pretty bad <laughs> i guess so but i feel like he's exaggerating it he's definitely exaggerating it yeah <laughs> um look um uh, another criticism on- i heard was uh the accents in this film uh idris elba uh, he, they kept saying his accent kept going back to British. <laughs> Did you notice okay, that yeah. as well? Maybe a little bit, yeah. And what about the Australian actor? Um, I know the. I Ugh. think the father, he's actually Australian, so his accent was fine. But the son, mm. I actually had somebody say, oh, I didn't know he was supposed to be Australian till later on because his accent yeah. was so bad. <laughs> he's, he had a bulldog with him. And I think, like, um, I kept thinking, probably because of the professional wrestler, the British bulldog, I wondered if he was Australian or if he was English because I don't know what he was going for and that was very distracting. Nah, mate, yes. because we're tough in Australia. We have all pit bulls. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, it wasn't It wasn't good. <laughs> for me, though, uh, the main character, Charlie Hunnam, obviously we know him from uh, Sons of Anarchy. He, um, for me, was very wooden in this. He looks a little bit like Channing Tatum and I'm sure he's great in Sons of Anarchy, but this felt like a real leap that he wasn't ready for maybe um for me i just kept going oh it's so flat his performance it's funny you should say though because this is a 180 million dollar film del toro has never done anything over a hundred million and i think that's the case for a lot of the actors in this movie yeah i mean it seemed as if it was um he was picking people that he thought would become big stars like Idris Elba I do think will become a big star yeah, we're just he, waiting to see him p- portray Obama one day I think he's fantastic I, th- I really like him I'm, I'm just, I, I didn't notice any of the accent issues by the way but a lot of people were commenting oh what was the deal like when he has the big uh, monologue we're cancelling the apocalypse you know he, apparently yeah. he, was slip- <laughs> <laughs> he was slipping in and out of his accent then and I was just like oh. I found that speech to be terrible <laughs> really? as well it doesn't, I doesn't have anything it. on Henry V huh <laughs> doesn't have anything on independence day (laughs) um look i wondered why the uh the jaegers didn't have like self-destruct buttons oh that's an interesting point because they um they're getting you know ripped apart at certain stages i feel like they would have a fail safe where they were like i'm about to be eaten by a kaiju i want to blow myself up and take it out with me you know 
And when they're underwater later and they've got a bomb attached to them, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Because, you know, like they blow themselves up. Um, Idris Elba's character and the son, the apparently Australian guy. Yep. That's different because they had a bomb and they were planning on doing something with it. It wasn't automatically attached to the Jaeger. I yeah. don't know why they didn't have a failsafe because often they were stranded or after his brother gets killed, you know, I would have thought he, he would have blown himself up, you know, and taken it out with him. Uh, no, I would never do that. Uh, you, you always got to have the chance that the pilot can get out, can get away and um, to fight another uh, another day. I think there was a line in the sci-fi movie where um, this girl from the present comes into this um, spaceship or some alien ship or whatever and she goes, can't we blow this ship apart? And they go, what? Don't you guys have a self-destruct? He goes, what, do you guys have self-destruct mechanisms on all your ships on Earth? And she's like, she didn't have anything to say. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, I, I don't what know. What was that from? Uh, some sci-fi, I think it was a TV show, something like that, but I just it's one of the famous lines people always say when, you know, what have a self-destruct mechanism it's just like what do you guys have self-destruct mechanisms on your vehicles on okay. <laughs> <laughs> um the, just to go back to the top gun reference yep you know he's unpredictable he takes risks he endangers his crew all that stuff is maverick isn't it yeah. from top gun yep <laughs> <coughs> is so it, like you know who wants to be teamed with this guy <laughs> I like it um, how they cast a Japanese girl as one of the main, main leads um, in, in this film. I thought that was a really nice touch that they allowed in a big Hollywood $180 million production, uh, a, you know, a, a nice Japanese girl as the lead and she's got a lot of backstory. And I always want to compare this film to um, Transformers because they're very similar. Transformers is directed by Michael Bay and it is a very rotten film I, f- I think I I feel it's a rotten you talking uh, about the first one or the- all of them all of them the whole franchise I think it has it, it, as Mark Commode said it's a film with a rotten heart because it's done by an accountant and they have a checklist with all the films um, you know casting Megan Fox as a sexy chick in, in the lead and you know having beautiful shots of cars you know and all this it's disgusting an absolutely disgusting movie whereas Pacific Rim has none of that there is no girl cast in this film for the sex appeal you know everyone um, in the movie has ca- like I know it's not great character writing but they at least have character there's three dimensions to them there's that beautiful scene when the father is screaming at Idris Elba going that's my son in there he's all he is is reminding him that's my son and I'm probably never going to see him again and it might come off as corny and cheap but at least it's having a go at least there's characters there that you that you feel for that scene the whole battle sequence especially at the end when um, the Sons of Anarchy's uh, Jaeger, their leg is missing and they're still limping along trying to get into the battle. And he goes, we're almost making it, we're almost there. You get this huge sense that they're all trying so hard to beat this um, effort. I got none of that in Transformers, especially, remind you, I've only seen the first one. It was just there for cheap thrills, cheap lines, Get, cut to hot shots of Megan Gale, cut to, you know, the toys. Megan Fox. Megan Fox, sorry. Cut to shots of the toys that we're selling, you know. I don't know. I think this film was done with a lot of heart and a lot of enthusiasm and passion. I'm just disappointed. This film got beaten by Grown Ups 2. Grown Ups 2 oh. absolutely destroyed this film at the cinema. And here's this film that Del Toro's thrown everything at it. Like, um, he's made this, you know, wonderful action movie and no one's watching it. <laughs> I liked Pacific Rim. I just wanted to um, it be say that I wished it was better. Yeah, I, I agree I with you in some sense. Yeah, definitely. 
just to be on the Transformers argument, just because in case anybody's screaming at the podcast, <laughs> first first off, Megan Gale is a beautiful model in Australia. If there's anyone internationally listening, um, she's the face of uh, David Jones. She's and Lloyd accidentally said Megan Gale. I am Megan so Fox. sorry. I mean Megan Fox. I got nothing against don't, Megan don't Fox. Worry. Yeah, yeah. Neither of neither of them need this publicity. <laughs> Did you like um, the um, the Russians and the Chinese like in the background? Like I like it how they had their own style. Like the Russians were this big old school robot, but in there uh, like a solid fighter. The Chinese were like three of them, but they had this special blade. The Australians had these like rockets coming out of them. That's also in reference to Voltron and Megazord, um, uh, Transor. Z where it has like a rocket punch do you know what a rocket punch is how the arm flies out as a rocket the arm hit. flies off yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh and power I have seen that yeah yeah <laughs> um I, I think it's it's reminiscent of real steel in recent time i mean you've got these all different robots with different capabilities but you think why don't they all have everything you know yeah one of the robots has got a blade thing you think cool well that's probably if all the- robots had, had those you'd all be able to use them you know what i mean but like yeah i guess it's their style like each culture has their own style like i guess the russians was brute force with the rocket punch the chinese were more much more surgical with the knife the australians oh, I, I didn't see much of the australians fight to be honest and then the um americans was just gung-ho oh no the the america the americans fought with the jaeger that was sort of out of commission wasn't it yeah i guess they could have gone more yeah, into detail that- with that they weren't nuclear powered or they were nuclear powered whichever one um didn't get them knocked out with that pulse of energy yeah yeah that's right like old school it's all analog (laughs) exactly i I thought the russians and the chinese got destroyed so badly when those um when those monsters came oh i was like wasted characters yeah i was just like oh i want to see more of them they got destroyed by the gorilla and that flyer But I mean, you know, Goose has to die in Top Gun. You've got to kill people. <laughs> you know that scene where the the flying um, monster is carrying um, the Jaeger up into the skies and they pull yep. out a sword and they cut it yep. out and you see how effective the sword is. And automatically I was screaming. I was like going, why didn't they use that earlier? Like that sword is so effective. They could have cut it to pieces. If you watch... Um, all those cartoons uh, shows that I just mentioned Power Rangers or, or Voltron they always pull out the sword at the end and then they cut the monster in one hit and you always think you know as a kid you're like oh why didn't they use that before <laughs> like this exactly, overpowered exactly. weapon um, yeah <laughs> just use the biggest most powerful weapon you have right away and it'll be over quicker exactly well, I guess Del Toro stayed true to its roots in that sense I guess he can hide behind that <laughs> yeah um, as well the the triplets who had like a third arm and stuff like that yeah got wiped out immediately as well and i get that they'd obviously fought before this fight but they set them up just to waste these characters yeah and it's a long wait till we get to that battle scene as well that's another criticism i heard oh there's just too much talk i'm like really there's too much talk. like there's a lot of uh, quote boring bits you know not enough fighting i'm like are you serious <laughs> it is 131 minutes in uh, in their defense it's yeah. a long film yeah, it's a long you film. know i mean people are getting used to 100 minute films and you know some people won't watch films based on their duration i mean cloud atlas which we may or may not feature in a future episode of this podcast is over three hours and it's it's like um you know <laughs> i think that might be its its problem is that you won't find a commercial audience and maybe you don't want to maybe well, is, isn't transformers like three hours or something 144 minutes oh my gosh i think each transformers of them, yeah 
I'm going to defend one thing about Transformers, which I didn't get to earlier. (laughs) The The first part of the first film has a really tight script with a lot of jokes where you set up Shia LaBeouf's character quite well. And, um, you know, up until the point where Bumblebee becomes his car, mm. you know? And beyond that, when he start, starts to, like, get into the Transformers in his front yard and stuff, that's when it starts to get a different film. <laughs> yeah. And the whole second half is all CGI. So it's just, like, two films for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to say... Uh, the whole compatibility test they run, like, let's see who's compatibility with you, Charlie. Uh, who's compatible with you, Charlie Hunnam? Is like, uh, let's hit each other with sticks and see who can get the hits. <laughs> yeah, there was some martial arts display or something um, that they have to fight. Yeah, that was a... I, I don't understand the science behind that. I didn't understand... No, that the, was an odd choice. Yeah, and the mind-melding thing as well. They could go really deep into that. Like, that that's a whole other film you can get into, you know. Um, very tricky to have that in there. <laughs> Indeed. And, like, I, I enjoyed that stuff, though. I thought that was probably the more fascinating element. Sure, yeah. They could have explored that a lot more. Like, my gosh, with all the feelings and the emotions and the... You know, you can go really... Uh, what's the film Inception on it? <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, for sure. I would have thought um, the compali- compatibility sequence would have been really good if you mind-melded two people, mm. right? And then you had them, like, move things around the room and stuff, you know, yeah. with, like, a robot arm or two robot arms. Sure. Like, wouldn't that make more sense? And then over the top of that, you could have exposition where he says, you've got to embrace it, you've got to do this, you know, yep. do this more. And, and you'd have some people who aren't compatible to show how compatible he and his yep. new co-pilot would be. I don't yep. know. Instead, they went the other route. I guess that's more spectacular, I guess, going the whole martial <coughs> arts thing. But again, that whole working together thing, the, the like for, that, for the Jaegers to work, two people have to work in unison together. And I just want to keep emphasizing this point because we hardly ever see it in movies where everyone has to work together to overcome, like, the obstacle. Usually it's always the one maverick getting through. Oh, I guess it was kind in this film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I understand the whole working together thing. And when there's a huge, like, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. Yeah. When there's a huge threat and these, these former dinosaurs, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. You know, that they had tried to uh, take over the Earth before when they were dinosaurs, but it wasn't terraformed enough. Did you like that? Did you like the two scientists? A lot of people didn't like (laughs) it. There probably didn't need to be two. Somebody else could have argued with the scientist about why he was wrong. Maybe it was the casting choices, like as I said (laughs) earlier with Charlie Day. No, that's fine. Uh, With Charlie Day and then the English guy, I guess people had issues with them, but I I didn't. I thought they were really funny. Um, And also going with Ron Perlman and that whole story arc, I thought that was really cool, like how just the design work, um, it's going really Del Toro-esque with that, how like uh, a monster has died in that area and they've made uh, a religious, uh, uh, like almost like a church out of it. Um, from yeah. from its skeletal structures, that's really really cool, uh, really effective there. <laughs> and I thought probably my favourite scene was the one where um, it flies up and then they use the sword. I thought that was the best to one. To cut it open, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was a really cool. The scene. highlight of the film for me. <laughs> Look, there's room for a sequel. Um, there's a line where it says he says it's pregnant, 
right before it kills Ron yeah. Perlman, but then Ron Perlman's not dead because he's in the credits. Yeah, you got to wait till the end of the credits, and that's obviously just for the comedy relief, but it was fantastic. The whole audience, when I was watching that, laughed. Again, with um, the, the audience I watched it with loved every moment with Ron Perlman, and he goes, where's my shoe? <laughs> yeah, that was what he popped out and said, exactly. And, and it sets up that, you know, you could easily have them find a new way in and invade and stuff, so. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed this. I think Del Toro did a fantastic job. I, it's just great to see this this whole um, franchise that I grew up with or this whole idea of robots fighting monsters being realized in a movie and done really well. I really enjoyed it. It's a really fun movie that I think people should definitely go watch. Do you think um, kids would be okay watching this? Because I, I say, yeah, go ahead, but there are some really gory parts. <laughs> Oh, kids of age. Yeah, this feels like a teenager kind of movie. Sure. Um, you know, you're not going to get too many 10-year-olds buying toys for this, I think. <laughs> um, Lloyd, why don't you tell us about the YouTube channel we have going on? Yeah, guys, we've got a YouTube channel where we, where we review obscure movies, usually movies found in the bargain bin. And what, what I mean by that is really cheap, sort of $2 movies, but starring really renowned stars. Like, um, I guess one of our earlier one was uh, Telling You, starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, although she's not actually in the movie. She's in it for like eight minutes, but she's all over the front cover. So we do a lot of movies such as that, and you can find all of them on YouTube. They're only five, six-minute reviews, but we, you know, it's torture to get through some of the times, but really enjoyable. <laughs> definitely, and it's nice to be doing something a little different in the podcast as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can find links to our YouTube and our Facebook and everything to do with Podme If You Can at www.podmeifyoucan.com. Lloyd, a pleasure talking Pacific Rim with you. Awesome, Dave. Thanks heaps. All the best, guys.